Let's pray. Father, we just bless your name. We thank you that you are unchangeable, that you are strong to save, that you are the God of all joy and comfort. You are the God of hope. Lord, I thank you for Steve Van Scoy's testimony. God, you want relationships to be reconciled. And God, I fear there's, there's others in this body that, that we've got issues with, uh, with our parents, maybe with siblings, that we are, we're holding bitterness and unforgiveness. And uh, Lord, I just thank you for impressing upon Steve's heart to go and see his dad, to introduce his children to his dad. And God, I just pray that it would pay eternal dividends eternal dividends. And thank you for Roger, God, and the job that you provided him and Joanne, and Lord, just the, and how they trusted you through this whole process. And just pray that as uh, Roger was reminded of his uh, father, his best friend that's uh, now with you, God, that you would just even bring him comfort and uh, knowing that he's going to see his dad again someday. And Lord, I know I'm missing others, but I just thank you that you hear our prayers, that we can boldly come before the throne of grace. And God's people said, Amen. Due to an error in the original recording of this sermon message, the scripture readings for the message were not recorded. To make up for this, an excerpt from the ESV Online Bible will be used here. In the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariak, king of Elasar, Kedorlaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goyim, these kings made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Birsha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab king of Adma, Shemeber king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. And all these joined forces in the valley of Siddim, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they had served Kedorlaomer, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year Kedorlaomer and the kings who were with him came and defeated the Rephaim in Ashtaroth Karnaim, the Zuzim in Ham, the Emim in Sheva Kiriathim and the Horites in their hill country of Seir as far as El Paran on the border of the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and defeated all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites who were dwelling in Hazazon Tamer. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and they joined battle in the valley of Siddim with Kedorlaomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goyim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah, and all their provisions, and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom, and his possessions, and went their way. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and of Aner. These were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions, and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions, and the women and the people. Verse 1. Really, verses 1 through 11. Verse 1, first of all, these are four kingdoms. 
Verse 1 is four kings and their kingdoms that are located on the east side of Canaan. Verse 2, these are five kings and their kingdoms that were located in the Jordan Valley, which is where Lot went and settled. Apparently the eastern kingdom with the four kings in verse 1 was led by Keterolamer. In verses 5 through 7, not quite sure why those, are, why those are listed there. They're really not that pertinent to the story because the story really has to do with the eastern kingdom and the kingdom of Canaan, of the valley. I'm going to skip down to verse 11. So the enemy, which is the four kingdoms that were led by Keterolamer, they took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah. They won the battle. And they took all their provisions and they went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was what? Dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. Now here's what we know about Sodom from chapter 13. It says, now that the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The reason Lot moved near Sodom was not to serve or to be an influence. The reason that Lot moved down by Sodom is to seek his fortune, is to be comfortable. Okay? And that's really important because... God wants you and I to be in the world. He wants us to be in the world. He doesn't want us to be of the world. And Lot went down there to be in the world, but he also went down there and he was of the world. And we see in in chapter 13 as well that it says he moved towards Sodom, that he pitched his tent And now we see in chapter 14, verse 12, that he dwelled in Sodom. And that so happens with sin, doesn't it? When we move towards sin, we end up living in it. And that's exactly what happened to Lot. The author's primary focus, the author is Moses. The author of Genesis is Moses. And the primary focus is on Abram's life and his example in the chapters of 12 to 25. But we could learn something real briefly here from Lot's life as well and the mistakes that he made. Now remember from from 1 Peter 2, 7 that Lot is what? Lot's righteous. Lot is not, he is not a child of the enemy. Lot is just as righteous as Abram is. We don't know that in Genesis, but we know that in 1 Peter, that Lot is righteous. So that makes my ears perk up because if Lot has the ability to do what Lot does here, so do you and I. 1 Timothy 6, 9-11 says this, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. As far as we know, the reason that Lot went down there is to pursue what? Riches. And there is never a time for a believer to, to, to pursue riches. Never a time. God blesses whom he chooses to bless. And some of us are blessed more than others monetarily. Praise be to God. It's a gift from him. But it is never good to chase riches. When as believers we voluntarily move towards sin like Lot did, God will discipline us and he'll get our attention. That's one of the questions I ask the Lord every day with uh, Nancy in my predicament. 
we know it's discipline, but some discipline is, is not a result, it's not a consequence. You know what I'm talking about? It's simply his loving hand shaping us and molding us. And one of the questions I've got to God, and maybe I, might, I may not know it until I get to heaven, Lord, is this a result of sin in my life? Or is this a result of you just needing to root some things out? Or both? It says in Hebrews 12 that God will discipline us like a father disciplines his child. And let me say this. If there is unconfessed sin in your life, and only you know that, and you're not being disciplined, you're not his. Because God loves you too much to let you operate in sin and not discipline you. Right, moms and dads? We discipline our kids because we love them, not because we're angry with them. Let's look at verse 13. This is the first time that we see the word Hebrew. And there's some different opinions as to what this means. But where I've landed based on my study is that it is the root word that comes from Eber. And Eber is the great grandson of Shem. And Abram comes from the line of Shem. So Eber is a great, 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 great grandfather of Abram. And remember who Moses is writing to. He's he's writing to what? The Hebrews, the Israelites. We see in verse 13 that Abram was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite. Mamre is a person. He's got a brother, Eschol, and Aner. And these were friends. These became allies of Abram. Now, when Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, when Lot had been taken captive, he led forth his trained man, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan, 108 miles, 175 kilometers, Abram went after his wayward nephew, his captured nephew. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus, another 40 miles. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the woman and the people. And I would love to study this verse sometime with a guy like John Baker from a military standpoint because there is a real tactic here that Abram took that he divided up his 318 men. He combined them with the three brothers that he was allies with and he attacked by night. Abram, when he heard about Lot being captive, there was no question he set out to rescue his wayward nephew. This is an amazing example of selfless, unconditional love. Remember, Lot did what? He chose what was pleasing to the eye. Lot was motivated by temporal comfort and ease. He was motivated by the prospects of increased wealth. He didn't seek counsel from his uncle before he left. And Lot voluntarily moved towards sin and found himself living in sin. Abram dropped everything and risked his own life to go after his nephew, Lot. Lot, in my mind, it was the most undeserving. I mean, he's gone off my book. I mean, he, he dissed me. He took the best land. He didn't ask for my counsel. I'm his uncle. I brought him to this land. Lot goes down, and Abram finds out that he was not only living by Sodom, but he had immersed himself in the culture of Sodom that is full of wicked men. I would say it serves you right. You made your bed, sleep in it. Instead, what Abram did, he risked his life and 318 of his trained men that were born in his house, and he went to rescue his nephew. 
Abraham's serving his undeserving nephew is an example of what Christ did for us. You know, this is really a redemption story. This is totally a redemption story. When I looked at these verses, I thought, you know, I got the short straw. It's all about these names of kingdoms that are fighting that I can't pronounce. This is a redemption story. God came to save us, to reconcile us when we were enemies. Enemies, that's the word that's used. Romans 5, 6 through 10 says this. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. The worst of worst, you and I. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. Meaning that some of us might die for a righteous person. You know, I might lay my life down for my wife, my kids, depending on the mood they're in. And if they're obeying or not, I might take their life. Verse 8, it says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were perfect, while we were agreeable. No. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Get this. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. We were enemies. And we have got more enemies as Christians. I understand that there's people that are trying to kill us. And I do believe we have a right to defend ourselves. But we don't have a right to hate anybody. Not Muslim, not Democrat, not Obama, not the abortionist. God hates abortion. He hates it. I hate it. Christ came to die for everybody. We need to stop hating. I'm so appalled of Christian radio. There are certain things we need to stand up for. But what we really need to be doing is getting on our knees and asking the Lord to break our hearts. Break our hearts for people like Bill. Bill's a pagan in need of a Savior. Matthew 26 to 28 says, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. This is Christ responding to the Pharisees. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as a son of man, Jesus, came not to be served, but to what? To serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the heart of service. And Abram served Lot. That's service. You see, I think I get confused with service because I want to serve in my giftedness, on my timing, when it works out for me. And I don't do toilets. Listen to this. In fact, maybe open up your Bibles to Luke 10, 25 through 37. Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. You all know the story. Jesus was telling the crowd what it took to, to get to heaven. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, 
What is written in the law? How do you read it? The lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, You know this lawyer had some people that he said, Now, you don't really mean that I should love this person, do you? But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Who's this neighbor I'm supposed to love? Jesus replied, Here's the parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side, a priest, a holy man. Likewise, a Levite, another holy man, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, the Samaritan that had been hated by the Jews, they are arch rivals, hated by the Jews. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where the Jew was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus asked this question. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer correctly said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Most of you know the story of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, where uh, Jim Elliot and his companions were ministering to the uh, Alcu Indians and uh, sharing the gospel, and they were brutally murdered. And Elizabeth Elliot and the other wives, after dealing with pain, some bitterness, some anger, God gave them the ability to forgive the very ones that killed their husbands. And not only did they forgive, but you remember what happened? They actually went down and they interacted with the very tribe that murdered their husbands, shared the gospel time and time again, Now, these men that killed their husband will be in heaven for eternity. That is how the Lord wants us to treat our enemies, the very ones that have wronged us. I can't imagine somebody hurting my wife and not only forgiving them but serving them. I do know that the Lord can give me that kind of strength. How about you? Who is the undeserving in your life that the Lord is asking you to serve? And service means different things. Serving is sharing the gospel. Serving might be as simple as mowing the lawn. It might be as simple as inviting somebody over. It might be a note to a brother or a sister or mom or dad who you're holding bitterness towards. Who are the undeserving in your life that God is asking you to serve? We've all got them. Who is it? Consider this. This might help you determine who these people are. Ask the question, who do I try to avoid on a regular basis? Family reunions. Who am I staying on the other side of the room from? Who have I not forgiven because they've wronged me? Who has a lifestyle that is revolting to me? 
But God has clearly put you in their life. Acid test. Maybe my little sister will listen to this. Oldest is seven. You know the story. My mom had nine kids. Two of them miscarried. Seven of us made it. They're still wondering if I've completely made it. My youngest sister is ten years younger than me. She's a lesbian. The gay and lesbian lifestyle, that's the one thing that it revolts me. But what God has allowed in my life the last few years is to love my sister. To engage her. Who has a lifestyle that is revolting to you? Is there a neighbor? Maybe neighbors that party all night, that smoke pot, that aren't married, that have teenagers that are wayward? Consider someone who you say, they made their bed. They should have to sleep in it. This little book here, some of you may have heard of it. It's called In His Steps, written several decades ago. You've heard the WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? It really came from this book. It's a great little read that'll help give you compassion for people that you're not compassionate with now. Ask the Lord to give you compassion for the undeserving. Because by golly, they are undeserving. But God's grace can cut right through that. Ask the Lord for the strength to forgive. Ask the Lord to remind you of his unconditional love for you. Ask the Lord how he would like you to serve this person or persons. Ask the Lord for humility to serve. Ask the Lord for strength to obey. And in closing, be motivated to serve out of obedience. Not out of compulsion, but out of obedience. If you humbly ask the Lord, God, who's the undeserving in my life that you want me to serve? I promise you, he will lay that person on your heart, those people on your heart. Obey that prompting and he'll give you the strength to obey. Be motivated to serve out of gratitude. I love this verse in 1 Samuel 12, 24. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. Serve out of gratitude for what he's done for you. Serve out of forgiveness, not out of guilt. This is a biggie for me. I do a lot of things out of guilt. But I want to serve because of what Christ has done for me. Because ultimately, we're serving the Lord, right? Ultimately, we're serving God. Serve out of humility. Think of Christ washing the disciples' feet. Yuck. It says in Philippians, to think of others is more important than yourself. And finally, serve out of love. Christ tells us to love our neighbor as ourself. Can you imagine how the Lord is going to use us as a church? Can you imagine that if we see people the most revolting people to us. And the person that's revolting to me may not be revolting to you. We've all got people that their lifestyles are revolting to us. And can you imagine if we can love people as Christ loves people? 
praying for the opportunity to share the only news on the planet that is going to save their soul, and that's the gospel. Can you imagine if we're a church that is focused on serving the undeserving? What God is going to do. Let's pray. Father, we bless you. We thank you that that you came to reconcile us. Yet while we were enemies, thank you, God, that uh, you came to save the unrighteous. Thank you that you so desire a relationship with us. I thank you that now that we are in Christ, that if we put our faith and trust in you, that we are clothed in your righteousness, that you delight in us, that all of our past, present, and future sin is gone. And I pray, Lord, that that truth would just permeate in us and would just overflow to the point where we can't help but see people the way that you see people. And Lord, I just beg you, would you save some people? Would you save some more people? Thank you what you've done this past year. God, I pray, just second Leslie's prayer for Bill and for Don. And we've all got Bills and Dons in our life. And Lord, I just pray that you would just give us a heart for them. And Lord, we do thank you as Leslie prayed that it's your job to save them. It's our job to love them and to shine and share the good news of Jesus Christ.